Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. If you've ever watched any of the series on Netflix called The Crown, or you've read about the Queen of England, you'd realize that queens don't just jump up and do things. They make plans. Sometimes the plans for a particular event are months and years in the making. They don't do things spontaneously. There is lots of thought and lots of preparation for the timing of royal events. In one of the episodes of The Crown, the story is told of a tragedy in Wales. The city, or the village rather, of Aberfan suffered a tremendous, tremendous mudslide. The miners there were mining and putting all the soil on the mountainside but underneath it was a spring, and the water from the spring, coupled with heavy rains, turned it into what they call slurry, and it came down the hill, and it engulfed the village. In fact, it, it took away a school, killing 116 children. Half the children in the village died that day. 21 adults were killed. It was one of the biggest tragedies ever suffered in the United Kingdom. And, uh, you know, royalty doesn't attend to every... A situation that occurs, they send representatives. The queen didn't visit Aberfan, but her husband Philip did. He decided to go of his own accord, and he visited. And then when he reported back to the queen, she started to feel awkward. And eight days later, she visited Aberfan, walked around and saw the terrible tragedy that those people had suffered. And this is what the people of Aberfan said. It's a bit too late. They felt she should have come earlier. In fact, many, many years later, the queen would do something similar when Diana was killed in that car accident. She kept quiet. She didn't appear. And it took five days before she came out and made a public statement. And guess what they said? We think it's a bit late. How many of you know God is never late? God is never early. Everything God does exceeds royalty. God doesn't just do spontaneous things. He plans and he prepares years and centuries in advance. And so it was when he planned to send Jesus at that moment in time. God planned for Christ to be born. Jesus didn't just appear like a guy, you know, in his teens. I think I've got the gift of speaking. People like me. There might be healing in my hands. I've got some religious ideas. No, no, no. He stands out as someone from the beginning of time having been prepared and chosen for that moment when he was born. We are serving a God who's completely unique. In fact, the Bible says this of Jesus, both his birth and his death. Obviously, if he was going to die at a certain time, he would have had to be born at a certain time. But firstly, about its death, the scripture says this in Romans chapter 5. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He wasn't captured and crucified by accident. It was just the right time. And guess what? He died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Not your neighbor, not the people in nightclubs, all of us or ungodly, because we can't meet God's expectations. That's why Jesus came. Then of his birth, it says this in Galatians chapter 4, it says, but when the right time came, the time God decided on, notice this, he sent his son. He didn't just appear, he was sent, like a, on a mission. And it says, born of a woman, which is pretty obvious, because they're not born of men. Anyone know a baby born of a man? <laughs> Why does it say that? There's significance. I'll talk about it 
in a few minutes. Born as a Jew, why? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he would adopt us as his very own sons. Jesus came and he came to die so that we could have a personal relationship with God because we're unable to meet God's expectations. Jesus didn't come to add to the Ten Commandments. Part two, I sent the first ten, here's the second ten. No, he came to replace the law by giving his life for our sins. Other translations speak about it in, in, a, in a different way. The ESV says, but when the fullness of time had come. The CEV says this. It says, but when the time was right, God sent his son. The RSV says, but when the time had fully come. How many of you know there was a right moment in time? For Jesus to be born. I want to speak about that moment in time, and I'm going to speak about why it was the right moment in time, and then we'll come at the end to our moment in time today. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, he also lived by a divine timetable. He didn't just groove along, let's go here, and no, I don't feel like it, let's go there, okay, let's, let's get on the move. Uh, no. He lived by an exact divine timetable of when and what he should do, and ultimately knew when he would die. Why? Because it was in the grand scheme of God's plan. Notice here what it says in John chapter 7, they were encouraging him to go up to a feast, and he said, I'm not yet going up to this feast, because for me, the right time has not yet come. But when it came to the last supper, this is what it says. It says, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, my time has come. He knew why he was born, what he would do during his life, and when exactly he would die. Why? Because God had planned it for centuries and centuries that at the right time, this would happen. Are you with me this morning? So let's look at seven reasons why the birth of Christ was the right moment, the unique moment, the specific moment that God chose. Number one, firstly, Biblical prophecies had created high expectations around the time Jesus was born. For thousands of years, the prophets had spoken, they had prophesied right from the beginning of Adam and Eve, it was spoken of that a Savior would come. In fact, the Lord God said to Eve that the seed of a woman would come and would crush the devil's head. In other words, someone is going to be born, a male child who will crush the devil. So people were waiting from the time of Eve. Then in the book of Genesis again, chapter nine, we read of Noah, the righteous father, who came out of the ark with his children and he got drunk. And the Bible says he was lying there naked. And Ham came along and he saw his father naked. Now, the scripture says in Genesis that the two brothers, Shem and Japheth, covered him up. But the commentators believe that it was actually Shem who decided to cover him up and got Japheth to help him. And Shem ends up being like a picture of a son who would cover the nakedness of human beings in sin when they failed. A son Christ was coming who would help cover the sin of people. That's why Jesus is recorded not as coming from Japheth or from Ham, but from the line of Shem. Look here in the book of Luke. Luke's genealogy mentions it specifically. Luke 3 and verse 36, that Jesus was the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, pointing already to a son. Can you see how definitive the Bible is? How specific? This is not just anybody. This is a, that moment. And expectations were high because previously to, to, to Jesus coming, 
prophets had come. And one of the key ones was Isaiah. 700 years before Isaiah had come. And he had prophesied that Jesus would be born. Notice the wording here in Isaiah chapter 9. Because this, this, this person would be unique. He says, for to us, a child is born. That's what children normally do. They get born. But watch, to us a son is given. Picture of Shem, who got Japheth to cover the, to cover the nakedness, the, the, the savior that would come. And Jesus came from that line. Now, it's, it's not just a baby born, but a son given. Divine plan. And then it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. People were expecting a political leader. They thought he'd come like a prime minister and he'd free them from Roman oppression. But he was first to do spiritual work. Then he was to do when he comes back the second time, political work, because then we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. But notice it says here, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. If you need advice, he'll give it to you. Mighty God, if you lack strength, he'll give it to you. Everlasting Father, if you feel lonely and parentless, he's always there and you can count on him. And he's the Prince of Peace and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This baby will be amazing and expectations for this baby arriving were high. And God said, now's the moment, let's send him. And people received him and the message of Christ spread around the world. The second thing this morning, if you're still with me in this very quiet church, is the availability of willing people. When that moment took place when Jesus was born, there was the availability of willing people. God found in Mary and Joseph a couple who wouldn't make it a social media circus. Imagine if Jesus came today. Met an angel last night, pretty awesome. Hashtag Gabriel, hashtag powerful, hashtag glory. Then the responses would be, you go girl. I thought you and Joseph hadn't got it on yet. Come on, it wouldn't have worked. He found a couple, by the way, they say they were between 13 and 16 years old. Eh? They were just youngsters. But God found in them a willing couple who, and by the way, do you notice it talks about Mary and Joseph? Because carrying the Christ is not woman's business, it's a family business. And so it's interesting how this took place, this, this couple, but it, it, it starts in Matthew's gospel, not with, and Mary was visited by angel, it starts with, with, with a genealogy. It starts in Luke also with genealogy. It, it talks about where Jesus came from, and it talks about how he'd been promised from the time of Abraham. Notice this here, it, most, most stories, and people say, the Bible's just a story. No, most stories start like this, once upon a time. Now, the genealogy, genealogy tells us there was that moment in time preceded by a whole lot of things. And it's completely different to any other fairy tale or story that we might compare the Bible to. Notice here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It traces it right back, way back to the beginning. And if we skip a few verses, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, but now it switches, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14 is two sevens. 
42 generations in sevens, God's perfect number, the perfect timing, the willing couple, the exact preparation, and then it switches from Joseph to a woman. Why was he born of a woman? Why, isn't that obvious? And Jesus was born of a woman. Yeah, okay. We could have saved those words. No, because it had to be of a woman. Because a virgin... In the very beginning, a woman virgin tempted Adam and brought death to all men. Now Mary would come like a second Eve and she would be willing and obedient and she would carry the Christ child and bring salvation. A virgin in the beginning, a virgin now. And throughout the ages, Mary's been seen as a type of Eve. If Jesus is recorded in the Bible as the second Adam, the first Adam called us, caused us to, to bring sin into the world, the, the second Adam brought righteousness, the first Eve tempted sin, the second Eve brought righteousness, it's pretty amazing. And here's this, here's this willing couple, and, and, and the early church fathers spoke of this often. They spoke of, of what Mary did as a picture of Eve. Here's one, Saint Ephraim, 373. He was a Syrian, and he says this, Eve wrote a bill of debt, and the virgin paid the debt. St. Augustine, 450, a woman handed the poison to the man who was to be deceived. A woman hands salvation to the man to be restored. It is a great sacrament that as death came to us by a woman, life was born to us by a woman, so that in both sexes, feminine and masculine, the devil being conquered might be tormented as he had glorified in the downfall of both. And then lastly, John Chrysostom, 407. A virgin expelled us from paradise. Through a virgin we find eternal life. Through a virgin we were condemned and through a virgin we were crowned. That's why you might find it strange. People have read Jesus said to his mother when she said to the servants in John chapter 2, uh, do whatever he tells you to do when they ran short of wine. He said to his mother, woman, what have I to do with you? He, people say, gee, he was disrespectful. No, he was referring to Eve because Eve took the first fruit and tempted Adam with it. But here, Mary doesn't tempt Jesus. She takes the son and offers the beginning of miracles for salvation of people. So there are parallels all the time. Eve is referred to woman 11 times. Mary is referred to woman twice, showing the parallel between her and Eve. This willing couple, Eve starts the first sin, but Mary starts the first miracle. What a wonderful, wonderful timing of God to find people like that. They're not dime a dozen. Number three, are you still with me? It was time for the second exodus. Why was it that moment in time? The second exodus was about to take place. If we read the Bible, we read that in the book of Exodus, Israel was taken out of Egypt, a place of sin and slavery, by Moses. But now Jesus would come like a second Moses, a second Adam, and he would lead people not out of a physical place, but out of a place, into a place. Not just heaven, but a spiritual place. You see, we keep looking for political leaders to lead us into a place. Prosperity or land or people talk about it all around the world, not just South Africa. They're looking for men, someone to come. And Israel was looking for Messiah. They thought he'd do the same. But Jesus said, no, this is not gonna be an exodus to Canaan. This is gonna be exodus to Canaan, which exists in here and then in heaven. Are you in Canaan? Because it doesn't matter where you are, 
when you're in Christ. Are you with me? You saw the testimony on screen, which was so wonderfully done. Uh, YouTube video, it's tremendous. Of where you can search and search. But when you come to Christ, you're in a place. Am I making sense? And so there's a second exodus. Now, how many of you know, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, the tabernacle was there. God's presence came. And it was a tent of meeting. And inside the tent of meeting, there was a holy place. And the Bible says God dwelt there. And, 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 his, and his glory overshadowed it. And then inside the holy place, there was a box called the ark, a golden box made of acacia wood, just ordinary wood, but it's incorruptible wood, by the way. And then it's overlaid with gold. And inside there were the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron's, the priest that budded, showing he was the true leader, and then the manna that came down from heaven. And that was the holy, holy place where sin was atoned for. Are you with me? Now imagine if that's the first, ex if a second exodus occurs, there should be another tabernacle and another ark. Well, guess what? Mary became the tabernacle. And she carried the ark, Jesus. Because in Jesus is the priesthood after Melchizedek. He embodies the Ten Commandments, and he's the bread that came down from heaven. And she becomes overshadowed. If you study the Old Testament in Greek, it's called the Septuagint. The word they're used for the glory of God overshadowing the tabernacle is the exact same word used in the scriptures here in Luke chapter one, where Mary experiences the glory of God. So she became the tabernacle and she became the ark because Christ lived in her. Look here, Luke 135. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's the, it's the word from the Old Testament, settled. E, 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 pisciaz which means the glory came. The exact thing that happened in the tabernacle happened to Mary, and she's carrying the Son of God, the priest, the full embodiment of the law, and the bread from heaven. Pretty amazing, eh? See, that's why these things are so special. We don't just celebrate the baby, and yeah, and we give gifts, and we love you, Jesus, and we sing carols. No, this is an event, that moment in time where God was preparing everything and everybody. And it's amazing the parallels between the ark and, and, and the ark in the Old Testament and the ark in the New Testament. Remember when David brought the ark into Jerusalem? Some of you would know this. The Bible says that David felt, gee, how can the ark come to my house? Well, Mary felt that. When the glory of God came to her, she said, oh, how can it be? Then when David took the ark and he brought it to Jerusalem, the Bible says he leaped and danced before the Lord. When Mary met Elizabeth, Elizabeth's baby in her womb leaped because she experienced the ark. And then when David put the ark in Obed-Edom's house for three months, Obed-Edom was incredibly blessed. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, and she was blessed. It parallels that moment in time. But let me get to number four, lest you think I'll never finish. Greek culture, Greek culture had changed the world. That's why it was the right moment in time. You see, Greek culture influenced the whole of the world, and the Greek language spread about the whole known world at the time of Jesus. For thousands of years, these kind of mega trends had been developing and God, was, God knew it and God was waiting for just the right moment. A man called Alexander the Great was a brilliant general and for 12 years he ruled. He was an intellectual man, a brilliant strategist and he was schooled by Aristotle, 
one of the most brilliant philosophers of the Greek world. And as a result, Alexander the Great, in ruling for 12 years, changed the whole of the known world's language to Greek. And he spread the Greek culture, the religion, and the philosophy and the language all throughout the world. And so when Jesus came, everyone could get to know about him because they were speaking one language. But wait, Ptolemy, one of the kings of Egypt, Ptolemy II, he decreed that the Old Testament written in Hebrew should be written in Greek. And so by the time of Alexander, this was done. The Old Testament prophecies were known by people. Then when people was, spoke about Jesus, everyone knew a Messiah was coming and the news had been spread. So when Jesus arrived, it was easy for them to spread the gospel, especially after he rose from them. It was a perfect window of opportunity that God chose. Are you with me? This was not accidental timing. It was perfect for Jews and Gentiles to hear the good news. But wait, here's number five, and I'm going faster. As you'll notice, the Pax Romana was in existence. This is a unique set of circumstances. Not only is Greek spoken everywhere, but it's the end of a hundred years of war, and it's known Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. Rome now ruled in peace, and there was stability, and they enjoyed a time where Rome expanded. You know, when a country's at peace, it can develop its infrastructure, so Rome built roads and buildings and schools and universities, and now you could travel freely over the whole of the Roman Empire. Greek was spoken over the whole of the Roman Empire. If it happened 100 years earlier, the Jewish nation wouldn't have been around. If it happened 70 years later, the Jewish nation would have been destroyed when they invaded uh, Jerusalem. But here's this window again. The language spoken, the peace of Rome, and God says, now's the time. And that moment, Jesus enters the planet. I mean, you know, if Jesus came today, we, would, we would know, wouldn't know what to do. Jesus seen in Santon City. Yeah, I saw him also at the same time in uh, Pretoria. Can't be. I'm down in Derbs. He's down here. And we'd make a mockery. I love what John, uh, sorry, Thomas Carlyle the Scottish philosopher around 1881, he was also a historian. He said this, he said, if Jesus Christ were to come today, people would not even crucify him. They would ask him to dinner, hear what he had to say, and make fun of it. Isn't that the truth? He'd be on all the news channels. It would be just a story, but God chose the right time, a perfect timing. But wait, there are two more, number six. Jesus fulfilled the Jewish feasts. You see, if Jesus were a Jew, and he were the Jewish Messiah first, before he was the Gentile Messiah, the Savior, he would have to fit in with all the Jewish feasts. And Jesus was born at exactly the right time to coincide with the Jewish feast, and he also died at exactly the right time to coincide with the Jewish feast. And it's, if you look at this diagram on the screen, you'll see he was born at tabernacles. Doesn't that make sense? God coming to live amongst us. And then he died at Passover. You can see right at the top. That was when the lambs were sacrificed. And so he's perf the perfect timing of him arriving, they say he was born in September. You say, well, what are we doing here on December the 25th? Well, December the 25th used to be a day when they worshiped the sun god. But it became a popular day for Christians to use it as a, a day for celebrating Christ because we don't worship the sun, we worship the sun. 
Now people say, well, shouldn't we change it? No, there's certain things you do. You can either reject culture or you can just receive culture and then you get confused by it or you can do what we do, you redeem culture. A day that's meant for bad, you turn it for good and now we celebrate Christ. Are you with me? Don't listen to Christians who get all negative and I don't celebrate that pagan festival. Well, when do you celebrate? We'd like to know and we'd like to come to your house and get some gifts. <laughs> you miserable so-and-so. So it's just an excuse to be negative. But Jesus was born in September. It coincides with tabernacles and he fulfilled all the feasts. I don't have time. It was the perfect again, that moment. Everything lining up. But wait, there's number seven. As I come to a close this morning, there was a deep longing for freedom in people. They were longing and longing for Messiah to come because it was said that when he comes, he would set people free. Everything would change. He would be the answer. And they thought freedom meant being freed from Roman rule because Roman, the Roman Empire had millions of slaves and Israel was a slave nation. So they immediately thought, some guy's gonna come. He's not gonna be in that political party. Neither is he gonna be in that political party. But I wonder which party he's gonna come from. And when he comes, we're all gonna get houses and we're all gonna get pensions. And we're all gonna get grants. And it's just gonna be awesome. And it wasn't like that. And today, people are longing for exactly the same things. But it first starts in the spiritual. Then we deal with political in the natural. Guess where people's hopes are today? It's down here. That's why they're so angry, so miserable, so full of protest. Because this is not what's meant to fulfill us. That is. And he came not to be a political messiah, but he came... The Bible says in, Mark's, in Luke's gospel, he stood up in the synagogue and he said, I've come to set the captives free. What did that mean? Didn't mean I come to unlock prison gates and let you out even when you got a sentence. No, no, no. This is not day of reconciliation where we let all the oaks out. Oh, shame. Eh? Okay, go. No, no, no. This is being free in here. That's why I said I've come to preach good news to the poor. Oh, does that mean we're going to get a grant? Are we going into socialism? No. When you're free in here, it doesn't matter what you've got. Your whole perspective changes. And so there was a longing that Christ fulfilled. And we've got to be careful that in our longing today, we don't long for the wrong things. We need to long for the second coming of Christ. People listen to this, all sorts of wrong advice. And can I tell you this? Philosophers are, have got ideas. Politicians, with all respect to them, they've got ideas. And you can be led astray. I was reading an interesting article in 2012. The mayor of Atlantic City, a man called Lorenzo Langford, in, instead of telling the people to leave the city when this hurricane was coming, he told them to go down near the beach, 500 of these people, and hide in flimsy buildings. Why? He was too late in giving a warning. He thought it would all be okay, then we realized it wasn't. He told them to hide in these flimsy buildings. Well, Hurricane, Hurricane Sandy came, the biggest in U.S. history, $1.1 trillion worth of damage, and those people were nearly killed. You better be careful who you long for and look to. A savior is the one. The government will be on his shoulders, and he's the one we should look to, and he's the one who can truly fulfill our longings. You see, today, that moment in time leads us to our moment in time. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.